The children of Hakim are bloodthirsty warrior assassins, diabolists seeking nothing less than to consume the blood of their fellow kindred in a mad, desperate bid to come ever closer to their clan's founder. They have no loyalty but to their own clan. They have no qualms about what lives they take. They have no respect for tradition, for decorum, or for politics. They are mercenaries who will go to any length to stalk and kill their prey if the pay is right. They are a lie. A carefully constructed paper tiger meant to hide the true purpose and culture of the Banu Hakim. Yet over time this illusion, this straw man, has come to attain a life on its own, and now it threatens the entire clan of Hakim. Hakim, as he began to call himself after his embrace by one of the second generation, was a hunter and a warrior of some renown. Although far from the most skilled in any of these fields, he was also a scholar and a poet. He had grown wary of battles and had turned his life to intellectual pursuits, and it was his will and drive that first appealed to his sire. Hakim got on well with his siblings and cousins, yet he had little interest in the nightly politics of his fellow third generation, and when he knew that they were about to fall upon their sires, to destroy them, he is said to have left the first city in disgust, wanting no part of it. Instead he wandered the lands of humanity at the time, embracing scholars and great thinkers with whom he would debate and learn from. When he returned with his childer, he found that the second generation were gone, and that the third had built a new city, the second city, in which they ruled as gods. Hakim proclaimed himself and his child neutral in their nightly affairs, knowing that his children, who were innocent to the ways of the other Canaanites, would quickly fall prey to their scheming, becoming pieces in their games. Unfortunately for Hakim, this uninterest in the antediluvians' affairs made him and his brood perfect for another purpose one which his siblings would approach him about some years into his time in the second city. The childer and grandchilder of the antediluvians often had little care for what their progenitors told them to, spending their time instead on amassing power, building cults of worship around themselves, and toying with the mortals of the city cruelly and without mercy. Eventually, the antediluvians argued to Hakim, Cain would return, and upon finding this a sad state of affairs, he would once more bring judgment down upon them. Yet none of the antediluvians were in a position to do much about it, none except Hakim. The others were too entrenched in the jihad, so that even if they would act out of perceived goodness for the whole community, it could still be misconstrued, or clandestinely done, as a way of gaining power over the others. Thus Hakim, who had no interest in this jihad, would be the perfect judge over the brood of the antediluvians. Hakim, of course, had no interest in this, but Saulot managed to convince him, explaining that it was not for the sake of the Cainites, but for the Kine, that they requested this, and the warrior scholar finally relented. He left the second city for a year, and returned with new childer, raised from powerful warriors and rulers, chosen for their martial might and their fair judgments. These childer were not rulers of the second city, they were its judges and enforcers. They kept order, mediated in disputes, and ensured that the Canaanites would adhere to the laws set down. They did this well, and for many years peace returned to the second city. Until the Bali. Roughly 200 years after Hakim's return, the Bali made their first appearance. They were like smoke, elusive and intangible, 
They spread corruption wherever they went, and like worms they dug themselves into the core of the second city, rotting it from the inside. Saulus' reaction was to raise an army of warriors, confident that he could smash this threat, yet Hakim did not share his brother's certainty. He left once more, returning only after three years, with three new childer. These were the first blood magicians publicly acknowledged in the second city, and they would learn from both the scholars, the first childer of Hakim, and the judges, seated in between them as a middle ground. These sorcerers were lethally effective in sniffing out the infernalist Bali and their followers, yet these demon worshippers retaliated tenfolds. They wiped out nearly all of the judges, and only one of the three sorcerers remained in the aftermath. The Bali still a threat, Hakim realized he would need to embrace more childhood to counter them, going to great lengths to prevent a repetition of these skirmishes. It would take Hakim and Saulot almost a century to wipe the Bali scourge from their city, and it had taken a grim toll on their clans. The Banu Hakim sorcerers would go on to devote themselves wholly to the study of blood sorcery. The first brood would grow to become the viziers, master artisans and scholars, who would grow to develop a sort of single-minded obsession with their chosen craft, rivaling that of Hakim and his strong will and focus. The judges finally would slowly grow to become known as the warriors, their roles having shifted somewhat following the war against the Bali, although they remain judges of their kind, at least for now. It is said that during this time, Amarantha, a child of Erical, the progenitor of the Torador clan, was the first canine to be diablerized. The deed done by a judge whose thirst for her blood overtook them as they were punishing the canine. This thirst would be just a shadow of what was to come, however. In the half millennia or so that followed, the Canites lived in relative peace, those of the 4th and 5th generation slowly beginning to depart the second city to rule over their own settlements of Kain. Yet the Banu Hakim remained where they had been made judges and under the stewardship of their progenitor. Then Charizel and several other cities along the borders fell. Survivors from Charizel spoke of the attackers, of dark sorceries and infernal witchcraft. The Bali, it would seem, had not been destroyed those centuries ago, and once more they would attempt to lay waste to the second city. Saulot sent his forces to combat them immediately, refusing to heed Hakim's arguments for care and strategy. The results were catastrophic, and many salubri were lost in the struggles. The Banu Hakim prepared themselves for war under the stewardship of Manchiaka, the eldest of the clan who was to rule in Hakim's stead whenever he was unable to. Manchiaka brought the soldiers under her command to a ruin four nights of travel away from the second city, where they assumed that the Bali forces would be passing through. They were wrong, and word reached them that the second city was besieged by the Infernalists, who had come from the other direction. Heading back rapidly, the Banu Hakim forces were attacked and nearly destroyed, yet the survivors managed to escape into an underground system of tunnels, thanks to the sacrifices of Manchiaka and many other warriors and sorcerers. The Bali would have destroyed the survivors, yet before they could reach them, they were all of them destroyed, single-handedly, by one creature. A child of burned skin, with eyes scorched from its skull, appeared, calling itself Urshulgi. It had been sent by Hakim. It is said that the Bali, in their death throes, laid a heavy curse upon the Banu Hakim, a thirst for the blood of other Canites. Not even mighty Urshulgi has been able to rid the clan of this curse, and even to this night, it plagues the children of Hakim, and the warriors the most. The war was eventually won, but at a great cost. 
the second city was dying, the Childer of the other Antediluvians no longer content to remain in these battered and broken lands, and setting out to claim new domains, denouncing the judgments of the Banu Hakim. Not even the Antediluvians cared more for Hakim's neutrality or sacrifices, yet the founder of the clan gathered his brood and instructed them that their vigil would never end. They would remain judges of their kin until the pact was broken, but they would need to adapt to the new times, to new cities, and to new circumstances. Hakim left with those children who remained loyal to him, for many broke off that night, refusing to live apart from the other Canites, and eventually they came to settle at the Alamut, the mountain, the eagle's nest, which has since remained the clan's stronghold. Over time, the North African and Middle Eastern region where the children of Hakim settled would become hotly contested between them and the followers of Set, who both saw dominance. Their approach to things would often be diametrically opposite, the children of Set valuing things that the Banu Hakim considered blasphemous and vice versa. Yet Hakim forbade the slaying of innocents, the mortal puppets of the followers of Set, and thus the clan would learn to spy and observe, looking for signs of the puppet masters and strike at the ones hiding in the shadows. Any other Canaanite who found themselves wandering these lands would be equally judged. The standards by which Hakim and his brood had kept during the second city hardly changed since those nights. Some unworthy were slain, others managed to escape, spreading rumors of the Canaanites stalking these lands, further cementing the clan's reputation as fierce killers and assassins. Eventually, the jihad that Hakim had tried to keep his clan away from became very real even amongst the three castes of his children. Their territory was limited, their resources likewise, and thus rivalries, jealousies, and ambition would plague the children of Hakim. It all came to a crescendo during the Peloponnesian War, where the viziers and warriors backed different sides of the conflict, yet both coming to Alamut to beg for their clan's aid. A fierce conflict broke out, and by the end of it, most mortals and five children lay dead. Hakim is said to have raged at this brood that night, renouncing them as his children and leaving them to their fate. They had failed in their duties to him and to the other clans, and he would no longer be their father. The three castes of the children immediately fell into a dispute over which one of them would be most suitable to lead the clan from that time on, with the warriors eventually winning because they were the most willing to spill the blood of their clan. The sorcerers could have offered more resistance, but refrained, demanding instead that the warriors would spare the viziers from extinction, a compromise that the warriors agreed to. And so it came to be that the judges of Cain's get lost track of their purpose, the warriors forgetting that they were once judges, and the eventual disappearance of Hakim himself. The warriors would remain the face of the Banu Hakim for many years later, most clans coming to believe that they were, in fact, the only faction of the children. Yet in the 1990s, Urshulgi rose once more from his many years of slumber. Dissatisfied with what the Banu Hakim had become, for they had allowed mortal fates and Canaanite scheming into their folds, a great purge was enacted upon the children of Alamut. Many Banu Hakim fled, stifled or persecuted, by Urshulgi's hardline interpretation of the laws their clan founder had placed upon them. Worst off were the viziers, and there are scarce few of them amongst the loyalists who have remained in Alamut under the stewardship of their new eldest. The Camarilla, the sect of the clan's most hated enemy, the Tremere, accepted the Banu Hakim's schismatics into their fold, much to the warlock's dismay, yet they are far from trusted members of the Ivory Tower. 
but being a refugee to these children of Hakim is vastly superior to the prospect of death at the hands of the Black Shepherd. Their numbers are five, and they are dark gods. Snow, an insightful yet compassionate master, Bambi Parsons, whose passion inspires and leads by example, Dr. Sheepington, a sage and venerable keeper of ancient wisdom, the unemployed writer whose words have guided nations through the aeons, and Dugal, the ancient and terrifying who stalks the night. These are our masters, and to worship them is to attain salvation. Their childer, the Methuselah, sit like kings and queens above us, their wills ours to obey. They are Her Satanic Majesty Danny, reborn through fire and ice, Maximilian S. Hardcastle, a master of our ancient jihad, Socrates Johnson, a scholar and mentor, the ambitious and loyal Lauren Eason, as well as the enigmatic yet influential Procyon. On the Council of the Primogen are seated Edward Reed, Colin Gifford, Zero Six, Stonewolf 18, Jokerman, Ian Nichols, The Black Friar, Ravenfang, and Pilgrim, wise leaders and of good judgment. They are joined tonight by Brad Hardwick, who has impressed upon the Council the extent of his wisdom. This week the Council will wish to welcome the newly elected elder Alexander Kanehurst and the Ancile Yudan. We thank you for your loyalty. All our elders, Ancillae and Neonates, receive our gratitude from the bottoms of our hearts. Without your support, this would not be possible. And thank you for watching. Now be careful out there, for Gehenna may soon be upon us.